you survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Black Man with a Gun Show. This week, I introduce you to a new documentary from some folks from England that I met. And I think I actually might be in it. We got news. NFL couple leaves their AR-15 in a rental car. We're going to talk about that. Also, a Florida brother gets harassed by the Maryland Transport Authority police near Baltimore. I wonder how you would handle that. Welcoming all my friends that are coming back from the shooting, hunting, and outdoor trade show in Vegas this week. Sorry I couldn't make it. But remember, the National Rifle Association annual meeting is coming up and reservations for hotels are far between. Get yours today. Introducing SteelLips.com, where I highlight videos from Hank Strange, Women's Outdoor News, The Daily Caller, and other friends of mine. I'm going to talk about gun rights or civil rights today. And Masada you brings some very good disadvantages that revolvers have over other pistols that you might pick. Part of a series we've been doing this month. And we're remembering the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. All this and more coming up next. Ah, uh, yeah. This show is just for the cool people in the gun community. My name is Ken Blanchard, and I talk about and to newsmakers, producers, and people like you making a difference. It's all here, baby. Life, freedom, and guns with a little heart and soul. I am your friend and brother from another mother, and this, my friend, is the Black Man with a Gun Show. Let's start this week's show with the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, you know about Assaulted, Civil Rights Under Fire, documentary by a friend out of California. Another film coming out called SecondAmendmentFilm.com. That's actually the name of it. You'll find it on SecondAmendmentFilm.com. Back in April of 2013, episode number 319, uh, I think I mentioned it before. I was filmed. I'm a part of it. I don't know whether they cut me out or not. That tends to happen sometimes. There's a guy from Birmingham, England named James Dan. And uh, I killed a couple of hours showing him around a few monuments in D.C. Um, and we talked about the Second Amendment and rights. It was kind of cool. Well, his film is out, and there's a trailer for it, or if the film's not out, the trailer's out. You can check that out on the show notes for episode number 357. And see it for yourself. That's 2ndamendmentfilm.com. This has been a real trying week for your friend and your brother. Yeah, it has. Because while all the podcasters and bloggers that I know, at least 96% of them, went to the shoot or to the shooting, hunting and outdoor trade show known as the shot show. It's like a gun show on steroids and everybody was taking pictures of their favorite firearms, seeing out was new and connecting with other people. And I miss you. I miss you bad. So hopefully you thought about me a couple of times while you were checking out stuff. Appreciate you much. While I was sitting here thinking about life, 
I got an attitude, actually. I was kind of ticked off at some stuff that happened. Uh, my book should have been out, for example, uh, Black Man with a Gun Reloaded. It was destined to be out at uh, Christmas time. But I was waiting for a special someone to uh, do the forward for it, which I thought was going to just make it a stellar book, you know, have this guy's thing in there. But he um, kicked me to the curb, made me persona non grata, didn't even want to talk to me anymore. Don't know what I did, nothing. Just stopped talking to me. That thing just kind of got to me. So I called the publisher and said, hey, man, let's print this bad boy. Let's get it going. Damn the torpedoes. Let's just make it happen. I got at least three friends. That's three copies I know I can sell without this guy's name on it. So he said, all right, we're on it. So hopefully um, by the end of February, you should be able to order a copy from Amazon and all those places and hard copy. Actually, I'll have them in the back of my truck or van. I got to get a truck. Always sounds cool when you're selling stuff out the back of your truck. That's a real hustle man right there. But I was, I was down. I was just thinking, I am hustling. I am breaking. I'm doing everything I can do. And does anybody give a flying French fry? I, I wonder. And, and what's it all about? And then I looked around in my office and I said, all right, the gear that I have that I use right now to record this, you help me get it. So if it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for you listening right now, this could be the end of the black man with the gun show. Really, I was actually contemplating. I was like, all right, I'll just go on a little bit further. If it wasn't for you. All right, if it's so bad, then why didn't you go? Well, I took a gamble. I got asked to speak at the New Media Expo two weeks earlier in Vegas at the Rio Hotel. And it was my opportunity to go meet with, evangelize, and learn about this business of podcasting and blogging. Instead of getting content for the shows, instead of getting new stuff, I wanted to do better about the business of podcasting. Because there were mommy bloggers there that were making six figures. There were guys who were podcasting five shows a day or five shows a week, pulling in like 90000 a month. Yeah, I wanted to be around those kind of guys just to see what was going on. There were content marketers, web TV people, video publishers. I've been at this thing for seven years, and a couple of these folks have been on it for like two, and it's their full-time job. So I wanted to know what the heck I was doing wrong. I did learn some things. So I've been reassessing, just kind of learning, thinking. And then when I looked at the date, I thought, oh, man, I can't go back out. I used my credit card for the first trip. Can't do it twice. Still hanging on by three. So that's where I'm at. In April, last weekend, I believe in April, the National Rifle Association has their annual meeting. And all these gun manufacturers, probably about 80% of them, will bring everything back from the SHOT Show. 
they won't be trying to sell it. They'll just be showing it this time. But hopefully, maybe 50% 50, 50 of the people who went to SHOT will come back to the NRA meeting. So I'm hoping that I can connect with you there. If not, I'll try SHOT again next January. Unless this is truly the end of the Black Man with a Gun show. Carrie from the wild world of Carrie's hunting, fishing, and outdoor podcast. So check it out. I am a rather serious bow hunter, but I do indeed love my guns. And when I need the lowdown on the latest gun trends, legislature, or news, I tune into my favorite podcast, Black Man with a Gun. After all, Ken Blanchard is my brother from another mother. Hey, I want to give you guys a heads up. I'm trying to create, well, I have created an aggregate, which means it's um, it's a collector. It'll bring in all my friends activities on the net into one spot i call it steellips.com kind of in honor of rolling stones steellips.com highlights stuff from women's outdoor news from the daily caller from ammoland.com from gun rights magazine from my podcast from my blogs and it puts it all in one place if you would like to add your stuff to it send me a note but check it out and please subscribe steellips.com and carrie Thanks, sis. Hey, it's time for some history. We haven't talked about history in a while. You ready for that? I believe, and I mean down to my soul, that gun rights are civil rights. Yeah, it's just like that. The Constitution of the United States of America was written to guarantee that all Americans would have freedom from tyranny and injustice. The Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution that was passed by Congress in 1789 was ratified by three-fourths of the states in 1791. Now, even though the Constitution said that all men were created equal, it took a little bit of time before slavery was abolished with the 13th Amendment and people got themselves together. African Americans really didn't get their full rights to vote, for example, until the Civil Rights Act of 1965. The Constitution is not a holy writ like the Quran or the Bible, but like these books, it's been misquoted and interpreted for the benefit of the speaker. The debate about gun control begins with the Second Amendment. It does. It has always been an argument. Ever since the Chinese invented gunpowder, who had the power has been an issue. From the framing of the Constitution to the Krushank case back in uh, 1875, the right to keep and bear arms for self-defense has remained an essential need for all American people. The Second Amendment is clearly fundamental and not a newly invented right for our time. Even though you hear about it today like it's brand new, it's been around a while. The Second Amendment is uniquely American. It basically says, I trust you. It says that with this amendment, you can maintain your freedom as a nation. 
You can be an individual. You can be truly free. Though you do not need to arm yourself to do most civil activities, the right to protect yourself from crime or danger is as real today as it ever was. Mankind has not changed and is still capable of evil, tyranny, and heinous acts against our neighbors. I always say that gun control is racist because as far back as 1634, all the laws have been based upon some ethnic group. First the African, Native American, and the Chinese. And throughout history, the Italian immigrants is always against some body of people, some undesirables. And it wasn't long ago either. 1960s, there was the Mulford Act that tried to stop the Black Panther Party of self-defense from carrying firearms publicly to protect the community. There's been a lot of groups since the Black Panther Party for self-defense, not the one that's today. That one's, no. That one's not even in the same boat. There were the NAACP before 1965. There was the Deacons of Defense and Justice. There were people who marched with King. Even though the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was not armed, he tried to be. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he was an American clergyman, an activist, and leader in the African-American Civil Rights Movement. He was best known in his role in the advancement of civil rights using nonviolence. He's copying off of Mahatma Gandhi, the way that Gandhi had shamed the British. King decided to do the same thing here in America. He was following both Jesus and Gandhi's rule of shaming people. But there was quite a few people who protected the marchers at night when the cameras weren't there, when the threat of death and serious bodily harm was there from the Nazis, from the Klansmen, from the racist cops of the day. In 1956, after King's house was bombed, Reverend King actually applied for a concealed carry permit in Alabama. Back then, the local police, as in most places where there are large numbers of ethnic minorities, had discretion to determine who was suitable to get a permit or not. Even though Dr. King's life was threatened daily, he was rejected. A journalist who covered the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, William Worthy, said once when visiting Dr. King's parsonages, he went and sat down in a chair and was surprised to find that he sat on a loaded gun. Glenn Smiley, an advisor to King, described King's home as an arsenal. But you won't hear about that from anywhere else. Eventually, King decided to just go full bore with the civil rights nonviolence thing and never embraced a gun. But it was a catalyst for 
others at that time to not be like King. And there's a famous picture of Malcolm X holding a carbine in his hand, looking out the window. And Black Panthers took Malcolm's approach to the extreme level and scared Governor Reagan and uh, Legislator Mulford, which helped pass that act. And then later when Dr. King was assassinated, it was also a catalyst for Gun Control Act of 1968, which was the first major federal gun control since the 30s against the Italians. Gun control laws kind of come out in cycles of every 30 years. A lot of stuff got twisted in the 60s. A lot of stuff. A lot of people who were, who looked like me, were actually Republicans. Yeah, they were. Those of Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, Sojourner Truth, Reverend Martin Luther King Sr. were Republicans. They changed after Kennedy assassinations, after the Civil Rights Act, after that. But more gun control didn't have any measurable effect on violent crime. Still doesn't. The problem is not guns. Never has been. It's who has them. The Supreme Court affirmed that we have a fundamental right to use arms for self-defense. Now the states will bicker on exactly what that means and try their best in the places like New Jersey and Illinois and Maryland and New England and California on actually which citizen has the right and which does not. Here is Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in honor of his birthday and the weekend. And a clip of him, one of his sermons, that you might not hear anywhere else. When you have seen vicious mobs Lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim. When you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters. When you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, and you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park and see her developing an unconscious bitterness toward white people. And you have to concoct an answer for a five-year-old son who is asking, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? And you are humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white and colored. And your first name becomes nigger. Your middle name becomes boy, however old you are. And your last name becomes John. 
Your wife and mother are never given the respected title, Mrs. And you are hired by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a Negro living constantly at tiptoe stand, never quite knowing what to expect next and are plagued with inner fears and outer resentment. And you are forever fighting a degrading and degenerating sense of nobody. Then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. Now, since I've been a gun rights activist, a civil rights activist, a person of history that reminds my sisters and my brothers about our past so that we can properly go into the future, I am so glad to know that the people that I have interacted with, that I've dealt with, that I've talked to on a regular basis are some of the finest people in the world. These times of King, the times of the 60s, the times of the 70s, when we were growing up, the 50s even, are a little different than they are now. Now we are a minority in the gun community. We fight racism. We fight the same hatred for stuff they don't know. Not a color thing now. But when it is, it's reversed. It's reversed so that the people who really don't know the history are trying to bring up history to separate us. Interesting times we live in. But I am really glad that you are part of my life. That I have known you through this struggle, through this this gun thing. Every person that I meet that is in the gun community, whether they are old or young, are a part of a new family, of freedom lovers, those who are struggling trying to understand why they hate us so. It's reminiscent of the 60s when it was a color thing. Now it's because of what you believe. There's a biblical verse that paraphrase says that you are born family members by adversity. What makes us friends and brothers from another mother is our belief in freedom, our belief in America. And color has nothing to do with it. But it still is a civil rights issue. Because it's freedom. There is no half freedom or partial freedom. It's just freedom. All right, next up, Masada Ayub on revolvers. Hey, Miles, welcome back to the show. Good to be back, my friend. Thanks for having me. Man, we're talking about revolvers, and we hit some history about revolvers that you carried, about the uh, some advantages. How about some of the negative aspects of having a revolver today? Well, the negative aspects are pretty much what uh, kind of sent the police service revolver to the police museum. And the big disadvantage was firepower. Uh, you had six shots, and it sounds like enough. You know, gee, how many, who's going to have more than six bad guys? 
quickly realize that first, the human body can be incredibly resilient, all the more so if the opponent is jacked up on drugs or high on alcohol. Uh, ethanol is a remarkably effective general anesthetic. If you don't hit the guy exactly right, central nervous system, he can stay up and running and still pulling his trigger. So we've seen cases where the guy had to be shot a dozen or more times before he ceased hostilities. With the revolver, you're down to six. Now, the old guys learn to carefully aim and squeeze, but the fact is when the bullets are flying, there's you're not in the range anymore. You're bobbing, you're ducking and weaving, your heart is pounding and your hands might be shaking. And all that's going to interfere with marksmanship. Uh, you'll often see a gunfight where someone who was maybe the best shot in the department fired several shots and only hit with half of them. Some of the bad guys moving, bobbing, ducking, and weaving, too. We see more bad guys wearing body armor today than in the time of John Dillinger. And that can soak up a lot of the bullets before you realize you've got to go to Plan B and aim at another part of the offender. We've got bad guys who know how to take cover, and that soaks up bullets. So for all those reasons, the the greater firepower, the, the larger in-gun capacity of the semi-automatic, and the faster reloads were what made the semi-auto pistol the, the gun of choice for the modern police officer. Other elements with it, the one thing that was discovered along about 1970 was the tradition had been that you would carry the hard-kicking, bright-flashing 357 Magnum. Mm-hmm. But wow, that was tough to shoot well on qualification day, and the ammo was expensive. So the department would give you nice, soft 38 reloads to practice with, they had to qualify with. And that simply didn't prepare the shooter for the violent recoil and muzzle flash of the Magnum round. With the semi-automatic, you can't cheat yourself like that. If you put in a load lighter than the duty, much lighter than the duty load, significantly lighter, the gun is not going to run. It's simply not going to cycle the slide mechanism. So it gave more relevant training, and essentially in that respect, it kept the training more honest. The double-action revolver designs all dated back to the 1890s at least, and in, in terms of the, you know, the shape and most of the ergonomics. The semi-autos were more modern, there was a lower bore axis, you were often able to get a much better grip on the gun. Uh, one thing we noticed back in the 80s and the 70s when some, de- some departments had autos and some had revolvers was that all the serious shooters in the revolver department would have custom grips on their six-shooters. Mm-hmm. Most of the guys on the auto departments left the grips the way they were because they were fine. And they were able to control the guns as they came out of the box. Another element is, while the, an advantage of the revolver is that it it better withstands neglect. You, you don't have to lubricate it all the time. Uh, you can leave the thing at rest for 50 years, and the springs are still going to work 50 years later when you pull the trigger for the first time. But what we discovered with the revolver was the, the much more finely fitted parts inside. If, if the good guy is rolling around in the mud and the gun you know, gets submerged and covered with muck, it's real easy to jam the revolver with that stuff a military-spec semi-automatic pistol essentially chews up the dirt and spits it out as the slide cycles. And some of the torture tests that have been done with the Glock pistol, for example, uh, where we reach down, take the thing out of the mud, and shoot, 
we end up looking like Snoopy after a dogfight with the Red Baron because there's mud all over our face from that cycling slide. But every darn shot went through the gun and went into the target. And that, I think, is for, for the person particularly who's likely to be outdoors, um, whether it's the civilian outdoorsman or the, the police officer on patrol. That's actually a big factor. It's not nearly so much of a factor in, let's say, a home defense gun that's kept in a cool, dry place all the time and not exposed to that sort of environment. The revolver shooter needs to be paying particular practice, uh, particular attention to practicing reloading for the simple reason they've only got the five or six or maybe eight to start with. And if things get ugly and they need to reload, it's a whole lot more difficult to get six exact size objects in a six exact size receptacles at the same time than it is to get one large object like a magazine, particularly a tapered top double stack magazine, in a one large receptacle on the butt of the gun, slap that thing in, close the slide, and go back to business. Yeah, it's a gross motor skill thing. Yeah, really true. I didn't think how hard it was until you said that. I remember seeing people um, dropping rounds, the speed loaders, you twist it the wrong way and stuff yep. falls out on the sidewalk. and All the, of the above. The dump, the dump pouches, they dump it on the street, not in your hands. Yep, that too. The, the leather belt loops for the cartridges that got a little bit too tight and you needed two men, a boy, and needle nose pliers to get your cartridges <laughs> out. <laughs> Oh man, the memories! Oh, and the ammo that you never used, so it's green coming out of the leather. <laughs> yep. You pull that, that little flap down and just sitting that. there. Yep. You pull that little leather flap down and they're just sitting in there. They're not even coming out and they're green. Yeah, that doesn't happen with the semi-autos. Huh. I've never seen that. Actually, I've seen some pretty scunchy stuff in a semi-automatic, but. At least the, the cartridges aren't in constant contact with leather and starting to turn green and corrode on you. Yeah. Like battery terminals. Mm-hmm. They look yeah. much the same. Yeah. I forgot all about those days. We uh, had the... Um, oiled. Oh, yeah. Or there are... Oh, how, how about when people say they, they oil their bullets because they wanted them to be fast? <laughs> Well, I remember one New York cop who remained nameless because uh, he really had a come-to-Jesus meeting in his shooting incident and uh, literally turned himself around and went from a guy who didn't give a damn about the gun to one of the best-known, most famous shooters around. Uh, He, in his young days, when they could only carry revolvers, would spray down his Model 10 service gun and his Model 36 backup gun was WD-40 because it kept it shiny and he loved that you know kind of banana-like smell. Yeah. And he figured, well, gee, if the gun should be nice and shiny, I want the cartridges nice and shiny. Yeah. So one day he decides to spray them. And he does not realize this is metal-penetrating oil. Primers are made of metal. And within a day or two of the spray, every single cartridge in his gun is dead. And normally he would have found out a few months later with the nice qualification. On uh, this particular night, he's on the subway. Mugger comes up to him, pulls a knife. He whips out his chief special, sticks it in the guy's face, and pulls the trigger. Mm. And he told me he heard the loudest sound he'd ever heard in his life, which was click. What was going through his mind is, oh, my God, I'm dead. And then on the other side of the gun, he sees the other guy's mouth just, just open in a 
a rictus of horror, sees the guy's eyes roll up in his head, and the guy falls onto his back in a dead faint. <laughs> the world's only known one-click stop, Ken. <sighs> and somehow, your story reminded me of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because God takes care of babies and fools. Uh, amen, brother. That's the kind of stuff that will make an atheist believe. That's, that's why I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that you have a clo- closer connection than most of us, Robert. Yeah, man. So stuff has happened. All right, man. Um, how can we reach you? What about your, your latest book? And uh, how's class going, teaching? Uh, classes are going great. Uh, latest book just came out. It's on the newsstands and magazine format uh, with the gun magazines. Uh, complete book of handguns, 2014. We have coming out uh, this year, 2014, the second edition of Gun Digest Book of Sig Sauer. Mm. And we'll also have a gun safety book coming out from the Gun Digest folks. Anyone interested in training can just go to my website, Masad Ayub Group. I'll make sure I put the link to that on this episode too and the, and the ones that preceded that as well well thank you sir Six Hour has gone through a bit of a change even though I'm not talking about revolvers when we when our department was looking for a replacement because everybody didn't like the Glock uh, immediately so we had a couple of folks went out to the, got the SIG somebody had the Smith & Wesson um SIG has changed a little bit, hasn't it, since the 80s? Well, they've uh, certainly got way more guns. They had, you know, three or four models back in the 80s. And today, my God, it's like uh, like Smith & Wesson was in the 80s. You know, it's like there's a new model out every week. Uh, that said, the, uh, the new factory uh, seems to be up and running fine. Uh, in, uh, it's a few miles away from the older one in Exeter. And their production volume has already grown so much. They they told me they thought they were going to be moving everything to the new plant. And it looks like they're going to be needing to keep both plants to keep up with production orders. Wow. A couple of months ago, I was carrying and testing their new P227, uh, their high-capacity double-action 45 on them. And I like that gun so much, I'm going to send them a check and keep the darn thing. Oh, really? We managed them, and every single group we shot was two inches or better, uh, 25 yards. And we got one group of five shots in eight-tenths of an inch with a service pistol. And that was a gun that had never jammed once in any of the testing. And the testing went from you know, tropical Florida to literally deep winter in Iowa in November. Hmm. Still have the decocker that made it famous? Yeah, it was the traditional double action with the uh, decocker on the side. That was a big to-do, man, back when we switched, because everybody was like, yeah, see, this makes it safer. And I thought, it's just a gadget. It's still your brain. It's still you. But um, that thing stuck. They, they've always been good pistols. I've always uh, really liked the six hours. But they're kind of kind of big. It was hard to conceal in the beginning. That's true. That's true, it is. They are making more compact models, though. Their little P224 now is uh, getting a lot of popularity. Yeah, it was, it was a good gun, even back then. It just... I just remember that whole hoo back in, you know, when everybody was like, oh, you're just going because it's new, and they would kind of give it to the instructors to be the first ones to try it, and everybody had their opinions. 
No, there's, there's more good guns out there now, Ken, than there's ever been. You know, when, when I was young, about the only guns you could really trust out of the box were a Ruger 22, a Colt 45, and a Browning 9mm. And today, from Beretta to Sig to Glock to Smith & Wesson and so many more, uh, you've literally got the revolver level of reliability with all the, the advantages of the more modern design. Yeah, Beretta has a whole bunch of different firearms, too. They do. Beretta almost bad as the... Very partial to the uh, Beretta 92. Spent a lot of time studying uh, how it's been working for the military, you know, the last quarter century. And you hear guys hate it, hate it, hate it, and then you find out the GMs were, because the government saved a few pennies getting a low-budget, you know, outside vendor magazine uh, that was like it was designed to jam. Oh, wow. And guys saying, oh, my God, I had to shoot the guy 16 times before he went down. Well, dude, that's the ammunition, a little pointy nose 9 mil. Um, you talk to departments that have had the Beretta 92, which is the same gun as the M9, uh, and good hollow points, and they had no complaints about the stopping power. You put the bullet in the right place, the guy went down. I found the Beretta very, very high order of reliability and a remarkably accurate gun. Uh, one of the few guns that will tend to group tighter off the bench in the human hand than it will in the uh, machine rest. Uh, the reason for that being in the machine rest, uh, it's the frame that's being locked down range. And on the Beretta, the, the sights are... You know, once the gun is in lockup, mm -hmm. the barrel will be in line with the sights. The slide may have very slightly changed its orientation of the frame. And you wind up with a two-and-a-half-inch, three-inch group out of the machine rest. Get somebody who knows how to shoot, put them on sandbags or a matrix rest at the same distance, and you'll get an inch-and-a-half, inch-and-a-quarter, two-inch group. Uh, the reason being, each shot is being aligned by the eye instead of trusting the the vice, if you will, that's holding the frame. And that factors out any change in battery between the barrel slide assembly and the frame. And when the hammer drops, if you're holding the gun steady, the sights are exactly where the bore is aligned to send the bullet. Hmm. I'm very much a fan of the old Beretta 92. Yeah, I was just checking some out this morning, actually. The, uh, they have a whole bunch of small backup frame size guns. Or concealment, they're trying to work at that concealment angle. Yeah, well, the Beretta 92 was never designed for concealment. It's uh, kind of no. on the size of the gun. Basically, I think Evan Marshall was the one who coined the term dress around the gun. Yeah, I, th I thought it was done after that L.A. thing when they, everybody was disassembling it. Uh, the street gangs were working on it. Well, came, the, uh, came back yeah, with a vengeance. Ripping the slide off the pistol thing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it turns out, I checked with LAPD, and they never had a case of that actually happening. Uh, that tends to track back to some gun enthusiasts on the department that wanted 1911 45s. Ah. You could do that and went around station to station saying, hey guys, look at, look at the awful thing that happens with this crappy gun. Uh, it takes longer to rip the, to hit the button and push the lever and rip the barrel slide off the 9mm, uh, off the Beretta, than it takes to take the whole gun out of the other guy's hand. 
uh, somebody's going to try to disarm me, please take a, a useless barrel and slide, because I've got another backup gun I can still shoot you with. Right. But you've got nothing you can kill me with. So that that really did not, you know, it became a big issue in the press, but it was it was an urban myth. It was kind of like an alligator in the sewer. I, I never found a case of it actually happening anywhere. Oh, man, that's good to know. And and now I'm thinking about probably at least five movies that have used that. Like, that's like a normal thing. Yep, yep. I so remember, that, that, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the series. Uh, there was Danny Glover and the other guy. Lethal that. Weapon. Uh, lethal, yeah, one of the Lethal Weapon movies you saw. Aha. Uh-huh. Works great in a crime novel, works great in a movie. Uh, try it hand to hand, not so much. Another urban myth debunked. I think so. Good stuff, man. All right, dude. I will catch you for our final piece on uh, backup guns. We'll catch you then, my friend. Thank you so much. I'm going to pause for a second to tell you about TacticalAuction.com. It's the only 100% free online auction site for guns, tactical, and outdoor recreational equipment. TacticalAuction.com. Register today. It's free tacticalauction.com Now somebody asked, tell them I sent you. Alright, it's time for some news. I got two points to share with you today. Alright, have you heard about the guy that was from Florida right after New Year's, went up to his wife's or somebody in the family's Christmas All right, have you heard the story about the guy who went to a wedding in New Jersey? He lives in Florida, got pulled over by the Maryland Transport Authority police that had kind of profiled him, pulled him over, snatched him and his wife and his daughters out of the car searching for an unknown gun. Have you heard that story? Unreal. Now, the MTA police, they're like a unique group. They, uh, They cover a lot of stuff around Baltimore City, Annapolis, Ocean City, um, they're kind of the in-between for bus, metro, light rail, paratransit, commuter rail. And um, you kind of don't think of them as real cops, but they are. Well, they found this guy, John Philippides, I think his name is. And um, maybe because he had out-of-state tags. They pulled him out of his expedition and said, I know you got a gun, so where is it? And the dude said, it's home and it's safe. He's a law-abiding concealed carry person out of Florida. He knows the laws in New Jersey are whack. No, Maryland is crazy, so he left his stuff at home. But that wasn't good enough this time. This time he got abused. And then when a cop starts yelling at his wife, which is totally out of it. Gets her flustered. She says, I don't know where the gun is. Maybe it's in the glove box. Maybe it's in the console. I don't know. And then the guy yells at the other guy. See, you're lying. Where's the gun? Tell me what it is right now. And they actually call for backup, make a big hoop to do, pull my man's stuff all out of his car, humiliates him in front of his daughters. And of course, they find nothing. What would you do? Do you know the laws? Are you prepared for what you have to go through to be a law-abiding gun owner? 
See, most of the police officers, law enforcement, don't know the rules. They just enforce what they're used to enforcing. And if you get one that has a wild hair up their butt, you are at their mercy. And somebody has to keep a calm head and it has to be you because it can only go wrong for you. If you're a concealed carry holder, no matter what state you're in, make sure you are ready at all times to give an answer, to give a response with a calm head. And know in advance what you're going to say. And everybody in your car has to go the same route too because your lives depend on it. It really does. It's more than just the right. Because you have to educate people. Ignorance is like rampant. One dummy with a gun can ruin your Sunday. I got a link to the actual story on the website. Take a peek at it and tell me what you would do. Tell me what you wouldn't have done. Tell me what you need to do now. I'd like to get your information so we can like share it on next podcast. Masada Ayub gives some really good tips about carrying concealed, about knowledge, about law in all of his classes, especially the first, the beginning ones of uh, MAG 20 and MAG 40. Without that knowledge, you're at risk. Yeah, you have the right. You've gone through all the stuff. You had a little bit of training. You need to get the other part because the world doesn't wait for you. Okay? And then the second story is an unbelievable one all by itself. NFL wife and husband. I think the guy's a quarterback from Miami. Also links to it on the show notes. They leave a very nice AR-15 in the backseat of a rental car. And there's a video of it on the site. Check out the firearm. It's hot. Luckily, it's still got it. Yeah. And then there's just so many cases of just crazy stuff. Have you heard the story about the um, the theater shooting? There's been another shooting of, in a school somewhere. Every time it happens, you, you, you kind of wince. You're like, oh, no, give us the, the anti-people just another, some more ammunition to dog us. Am I the only one? Send me your favorite news clips for the week, stuff that you've seen. And a quick thanks to Ralph and Kevin for sending me these two items for me to highlight. All right, I think that's it for this week. Check out that documentary, the trailer. For all my folks with from SHOT Show, hope you can soak your poor, tired feet and you got some good video coverage and some good stuff for content for the rest of this year. I um, hope I see some of you guys at the NRA meeting. I'm trying to make there. I got my hotel reservation already. Make sure you get yours because... That stuff filled up like really quick. I think all 4 million members are coming this year. And Indiana is not nearly as ready for the onslaught as Vegas is. Don't forget to check out steellips.com. Subscribe so you can stay track of Hank Strange and Women's Outdoor News and Daily Caller and my other friends. And if you got a chance, send up some encouragement to your brother because sometimes I get a little down. Don't forget that gun rights are civil rights. 
I'm glad you're in this with me. I'm glad you were one of the cool people. Thanks, Masad, for your pieces on revolvers this month. I heard there's uh, quite a few being sold now. Um, Smith & Wesson has some new ones out. So this was kind of apropos. And remembering Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on his birthday. Thank you, Sister Carrie Z. Check out her podcast about hunting and bow hunting and especially. Hope you got a chance to see her at the SHOT Show because she was there. Hey, if you get a chance, check out my other two podcasts. That's Life Blanchard and the Unnamed Church podcast. And though I didn't tell you, it's official. I'm running for county council, Prince George's County and District Number 6 here in Maryland. It's my first political move and it's going to be a monster because my opponent is well loved and well liked and well established and it's an all democratic county and a state for the most part and there's like hardly any republicans in my whole area and i got them just where i want them it's just gonna look so good when i win check out blanchard2014.org and support a brother if you want to well that's it for this week Thanks for rolling with a brother. If you want to contact me, my voicemail is 888-675-0202. My email is blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. The show notes and all media links can be found on blackmanwithagun.com. Check out the affiliates, the blog, and sign up on the contact list that I have there. If you like what you heard, please tell somebody. And until we meet again, shalom, baby. I want young men and young women who are not alive today, but who will come into this world with new privileges and new opportunities. I want them to know and see that these new privileges and opportunities did not come without somebody suffering and sacrificing for them.